Well, Aaron, we've had a lot of fun in the last few episodes, haven't we? Oh, a lot of laughs, man. A lot of laughs. We have had a lot of fun, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Unfortunately, today's subject is a little more serious. And um, we're going to be talking about Billie Holiday, Lady Day. And if you want to talk about a story about a witch hunt, you just have to look at Billie Holiday's story. And um, there are some troubling moments in uh, this episode, folks. It's uh, it's not a nice tale, unfortunately. No, it such a talented lady too you know yeah incredibly talented uh, so shall we get to it Aaron I think we shall okay I'll cue up the theme music and we'll be right back welcome to the Stewie Tune Show these are insights and commentary on the music and musicians that shape our lives and now let's go back to class with your hosts Tony Stewart and Aaron Badgley Well, Aaron, how are you doing? It's uh, It's been quite a busy week for me, and we had a little uh, COVID outbreak in our area, unfortunately, so... You think you're in trouble? Yeah, <laughs> for <kidding>. sure. <laughs> uh, COVID outbreak, uh, you know, is it, is it because people were being not entirely responsible, perhaps? Yes, unfortunately, it was uh, a house party, and it's turned into an event, so hopefully that won't affect us at the school, but, uh, you know, I live in a just outside of a town called Carlton Place. And uh, they said there were 20 cases in our area from just from that event. So, Well, you know, we had two schools have to close here in the city. One in Scarborough, no, one school in Scarborough had to close down because of a COVID outbreak. So I hope they don't close your school down. No, me neither. And uh, folks, we hope that you're taking care out there as well, because it's been about a year almost since... Uh, almost coming up to a year, yeah. Yeah. So we are going to be talking about Billie Holiday tonight and... Um, one of my favorites. One oh, of my absolute favorites. Me too. This is very near and dear to my heart too as a jazz musician, you know. And um, But the one thought that comes to my mind over anything else, other than her talent, of course, because she was, she was a stellar talent, a very unorthodox talent, but also her story is so tragic. And it's one thing after another with her, and she died early and... Um, you know, unbelievable to me that she was able to have even the career that she had with all the obstacles in her life. Yeah. And you look, it's funny because, you know, I'm a chart kind of guy and you look at her records and she was very massively popular from her first record on. Mm -hmm. So she was being recognized, but, you know, there was other forces out there that, um, there's a few tragic stories in the history of music, you know, she's one of them. There's other ones that, that, they just break your heart because, and I'm not comparing her to, but like watching the Amy Winehouse documentary just tore me apart because there's this young woman, very talented, and what, 27 when she died? Like, it was horrible. Well, you know, there are similarities because of the substance abuse, right? Just well, yeah. Could not, uh, could not get her demons under control. And um, that's exactly what happened with Billie Holiday. But, uh, you know, I was, uh, Frank Sinatra, I'm a huge uh, fan of the chairman of the board, like a huge Sinatra fan. And he said that Billy Holiday was one of his foremost influences, actually. So, I mean, that's pretty high praise. <laughs> Coming from Sinatra? Yeah. Yes, indeed. Yeah. He had a good taste of music, though. Yes, he certainly did. So let's get started, shall we? Um, I mean, I think we do have to talk about 
because the story starts from a young age with her. I mean, her right from childhood, you know, um, she was sent to a, like a, a school, basically like a juvenile school at the age of nine, mm-hmm. which is incredible because her mother, I guess, was never around. And then was raped at 10, was in prostitution before she was 15, which is incredible. And she was born Eleanor Fagan. and uh, or, or, or Eleanor Harris. There's two different birth certificates, which is very, not uncommon, by the way. But Yeah. But just uh, right off the start, you know, a very tragic beginning to her life. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the dice were loaded. I mean, it's amazing that she, she, do you know where she got the name Billy? Like for Billy Holiday? I am not sure. Where did she get it? She was a big fan of a, a silent movie star named Billy Dove. Oh. And uh, so she took the name Billy from Billy Dove. And her birth dad was Clarence Holiday. Yeah. And it was spelled H-A-L-L-I-D-A-Y. That's right. Yeah, That's and, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they turned it into a stage name Holiday. Well, spelling, you know, I mean, it's, someone didn't care. But anyways, that's yeah. where the name came from. Yeah. Yeah. So a very tragic childhood. And... Um, her mother, her relationship with her mother was one of those on again, off again, right up until her death, in fact. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure what else you can say about that, but it just set the, set the tone for the rest of her career and her life. And uh, folks, we told you this this was going to be a little bit more sad than our usual episodes, but uh, that's those are just the facts, you know? Well, and it's funny because she became a singer because of those facts, Tony. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, in 1932, she's desperate for money. She's 16. She's out of jail for being arrested for prostitution. She's, you know, on, on the streets in Harlem and she wants to pick up some quick cash. So she she's trying to find any kind of work. She goes into a, a club and she says, well, I'm a dancer. And she's not. (laughs) And uh, she sees this guy playing, uh, this old guy playing piano, you know, and and, uh, she just started singing. And according to reports, people just stopped and stared at this little 16-year-old girl who's just belting it out, right? Yes. So she didn't get the job as a dancer, but she did get the job as a singer. (laughs) Yes, and her singing style, you know, just Mm -hmm. from a jazz musician's perspective, is was so unorthodox. And uh, she often said that she would try to imitate horn players. She was a big collaborator with uh, Lester Young, who was a tenor sax player. But she often said that um, she would try to imitate horns when she was singing. And uh, her horn players said they would try to imitate her. Now, Ella Fitzgerald uh, was the same thing. You know, Ella Fitzgerald, the, the horn players in her band, used to actively try to imitate her after she did a solo because she was so unbelievable. But... Uh, you know, those are two of the big names, right, in uh, jazz uh, at that time. And um, she she was a, a terrific voice. If you haven't listened to her, folks, you should go and just look up some Billie Holiday recordings because very unorthodox. Well, it was very unorthodox. And you wouldn't think that it would have the success that it had. And, and especially at a time when a lot of black artists weren't being played on anything other than black radio. That's but right. Let's, let's, let's put this. I mean, the fact that she signed a record deal. Uh, in 1933, with a label called Brunswick, uh, Brunswick Records, and then she moved over to a label called OK. I love that name, OK mm-hmm. Records. Um, who had a wonderful guy who used to who recorded for OK by the name of um, Cab Calloway. Yeah, I'm a huge Cab Calloway fan. Yeah, but anyways, here. are you really? Yes. 
Oh, I didn't know that. See, look at that, folks. We're learning something new here. Uh, and her first single was called Riffin' the Scotch. Great title. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, it actually made number six, Tony, on the charts. And then from then on, she just kept hitting the top ten with things like 24 Hours a Day, These Foolish Things Remind Me of You. I love that which, song. And have you ever heard, you've heard Sinatra do it, right? Yes. And and if you ever want to hear a great version, Brian Ferry from Roxy Music does a great version of These Foolish Things Remind Me of You. So I just, I also want to set this in, in, in perspective is that at that time, no one was recording albums. They didn't have a thing called albums. So all they did was 78s, singles. And, and I, know, I hope people know what I'm talking about when I talk about 78s. Um, they were 10 inches in diameter. And they were made of shellac, so they, you know, if you if you if you dropped it, and shattered. Yes. But but um, what's incredible, Tony, is they weren't using tape. So they were recording right onto the wax, right? Yeah. Well, Can that, you believe that? That's amazing. So those those songs you said people should go listen to are live recordings. That's incredible. Yeah. So here's a fact about her that just from my perspective as a clarinetist um she worked with two of the of course greatest clarinetists of all time um, she worked with benny goodman in 1933 and she made her commercial debut uh, on november 27th 1933 with a song again a great title right your mother's son-in-law so <laughs> and then five years later she worked with Artie shaw who was the other big clarinetist of that time uh goodman and shaw were competitors until Artie Shaw just got fed up with the music business and actually quit. But in some ways, Artie Shaw may have been even a, a, a more technical clarinet player than Benny Goodman was, and uh, Goodman was a monster. So both of them are incredible. I've worked on transcriptions of theirs, and it's like, wow, <laughs> you know, like the stuff that they were doing was incredible. Um, she worked with Artie Shaw in 1938. She was one of the first black singers to work full time with a white band. And Shaw was, uh, he stood up for her. You know, there were, she faced so much discrimination. Uh, some venues did not want her sitting up on the bandstand with the white singers. And Shaw just put his foot down and said, no, she belongs up there. But uh, she eventually had enough of all the hassle and left that band. But uh, Shaw was, Artie Shaw was one of the ones who really uh, stood up for her and uh, made sure that her talent was put forward. That's amazing. You know, there was a few artists at the time who were willing to stick their necks out, eh? Yes, exactly. And, you know, uh, it always gets me. You hear the stories of jazz musicians traveling in the South, right? And a lot of times, like the, the black musicians in the band couldn't even use the same entrance, couldn't, uh, couldn't stay at the hotel, couldn't go to the restaurant. Had to, they would have houses that they would go to. And crash at people's houses because they weren't allowed to stay at the hotel. Like, so sad. But that didn't stop until the 60s. Well, that's right. It went right through. I mean, you, you know, the, the 50s R&B artists and the 50s rock artists were in the same boat. It's it's incredible to think. But that's like 60, 70 years ago. Yeah. You know? So tragic. Well, I told you I taught that rock and roll course at the school to those grade nines. And, and I tied it into the civil rights movement. And, I mean, they couldn't believe it. When we were talking about that, I said, you know, this was in the 50s, guys, and, and here's what was happening, right? And, you know, it's uh, it, it was crazy. But again, that ties into the whole 
her life was one obstacle after another that she had to face. And to me, she's all the more impressive because of that, because there was, there was no good reason why she should have had the career that she did with everything that she faced, you know? And I think what she faced, you could hear it in her delivery of these songs. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, like just life coming out of those speakers when you listen to that stuff. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, Last week, we did an episode about U2. And if folks, if you haven't listened to that one yet, you should go back and take a listen to that one. But That was fun, yeah. Yeah, that was really fun. A lot of laughs on that one. Um, Angel of Harlem, the song Angel of Harlem, is all about Billie Holiday. And have you seen the video for that? I have. I love the video for that. Yeah, me too. Great video. Yeah, it's a good one, but uh, nice little U2 tie-in. So, Aaron, <laughs> Aaron, what do you think? Are you ready to take a break? I could use some water. Yeah, I could take a break too. Like I said, folks, this is a little more serious tonight. But, it's a bit uh, heavy. It's a bit heavy. It is a bit heavy, but you know what? These are important to talk about as well. So, we will be right back. I've got a music history moment for you, and we'll be right back. All you Motown fans out there are going to appreciate this one. On March 6, 1965, The Temptations went to number one on the U.S. singles chart with the song My Girl, which was written by Smokey Robinson. This made them the first male act to have a number one for Motown Records. The single didn't do so well in the U.K., only hitting number 43, but in the States, made it all the way to the top of the charts. And now... Let's get back to the show. That was a really interesting uh, musical uh, music history moment, Tony, because I don't know if I've told you this or not, but I think I have. and probably too much because this is a road trip we're going to do. Detroit, the Motown Museum. Oh, my goodness. Yes. You can go into the room where they recorded that song. Oh. And you, there's a, a huge thing above you. You can put your hand up and snap your fingers. And it could, it's, it's, it's chilling. Anyways, so... Uh, back to back to Billy, but I had to mention that after your well, music yeah, history moment. That, that's on my list for sure, Detroit. Well, we're going to do a road trip. We can. Uh, that's only well for me. It's a four-hour drive for you. It's a bit longer, but <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so earlier on, I was mentioning about the fact that back in the old days, they didn't record albums; they recorded singles. Really, they were at seventy-eight RPM, and they RPM means right, they, they just go fast, right? Mm-hmm. Albums came into being in the early fifties, and it. Believe it or not, her first album was released in 1952. Uh, now, what I mean by that is that this was an album that she actually recorded as an album. They weren't just songs thrown together in a box set of 78s, but it was it was actually an album. And her first album was called, um, and I just lost my notes, her, her first album was called Billie Holiday Sings. And it was 10 inches. It was on Mercury Records. And it has a really cool cover. For those of you who want to look it up, it's like a... 50s kind of you know very cool but and it had i only have eyes for you you mm-hmm. turn the tables on me blue moon her version of blue moon is incredible yeah it's amazing it is and it's fantastic and then she did um in my solitude these foolish things again she re-recorded it and then a cole porter song called you'd be so easy to love yeah great song oh fantastic cole porter that could, that could be a show too uh, you go to my head at East of the Sun and West of the Moon. Anyways, uh, I had that album. Unfortunately, 
over time, things disappeared. But I do have her 78s. My mom used to have her 78s, and I've got my mom's 78s. So. Oh, wow. So that was her first album, and it did very well. For those of you who are nerds like me, who'd like to chart facts and figures. <laughs> yeah, I've got a few Billie Holiday uh, albums in my LP collection as well, and uh, always, always been a fan of hers. So, folks, we're going to move on to what is probably one of the most tragic uh, legacies for her. Uh, in 1939, she started singing a song called Strange Fruit. And Strange Fruit uh, is a song about lynching. And, of course, that attracted a lot of attention. Because here is a black woman singing a song about lynching. And this got the attention of a guy named Harry Anslinger, who was in charge of the Bureau of Narcotics, the Federal Bureau of Narcotics. And Anslinger, in my opinion, uh, and I've watched a few documentaries about this and listened to a bunch of podcasts and reading and everything. In my opinion, Anslinger uh, ruined her life Mm -hmm. because he hounded her. Uh, The Federal Bureau of Narcotics, you know, uh, they warned her to stop singing it and she wouldn't. And then they just went after her. And I mean, they went after her. they went into her home. They got her on drug charges. Now, when you got busted for drug charges back then, if you were a performer, uh, you were screwed because there was something called a cabaret card that you had to have to work at the clubs in New York City. And if you didn't have your cabaret card, you could not work in any venue that sold alcohol. So as a result of Anslinger's witch hunt, uh, when it first started, she lost her cabaret card. And she had to perform in concert venues. Um, And this torment continued until her death. I mean, they hounded her for 20 years about this song. And she refused to back down. She kept singing it. And when she first sang it, the first time... Did you ever hear the story about when she first sang it? Mm -hmm. Go ahead. ahead. Yeah, she uh, told the audience... uh, Because it was in a club, right? So she told the audience, need everybody quiet. And the lights went down. And they just had a spotlight on her face. That was it. And and Strange Fruit's a short song. It only clocks in at about two and a half minutes. And it is all about lynching. And the audience was spellbound. And, uh, I mean, the Federal Bureau of Narcotics just just lost their minds over this. And uh, they they set her up uh, a few times with bogus charges. And and we'll get to the end of her life. That's... uh, that just gets me angry, and, I, and I'm going to turn it over to you, I think, because I'm starting you know to get what? angry but, talking about but, but it But you know what? The funny thing about Strange Fruit is it still, as a single, made the top 20. Mm-hmm. People bought it. I mean, and, and when you look at the lyrics, I mean, the first line, Southern trees bear strange fruit. I yeah. mean, it's, it, it's one of the most important songs ever written. Oh, without question. And, and um, you know, it's like it's like the blacklist of the '50s with the McCarthy era. That's exactly you know, what just, it is. Yeah. It was. It was a hundred percent what it was. So, yep. And they, um, she, uh, you know, she wasn't sure at first whether she should sing it or not, but she decided to, and then it became one of her signature tunes, right? And um, rightfully so. No one sings it quite like her. No. To be blunt, you know. Exactly. But it it was uh, it caused her demise, unfortunately. Uh, we, like we, like I said, we'll talk about that when we get to the end of her life. But um, I get angry thinking about it. You know, you know what? <laughs> you, you know, know what? Bo- you should be angry, Tony. It, it, it's something that should make people angry when they hear about it, even today. You well, know? and you know what's even more 
awful is it was widely documented about Anslinger. Um, and he, he ended up getting some kind of commendation from one of the presidents. I can't remember which president, you know, gave Probably him a, uh, you know, gave him a, uh, something for meritorious service. But I, can I read this quote, Aaron? Of course. Okay. Here, here's a quote about Harry Anslinger. So listen to this. I mean, this is Okay. Uh, so here he was considered so racist that he was regarded as a crazy racist in the 1920s. And you know what? He, uh, everybody knew this about him, that he was nuts. He was on a crusade on a witch hunt and just designed to take her down. So uh, very, very upsetting. Yeah. Well, he's having dinner with uh, yeah. <laughs> someone in hell tonight, but we're not going to go there. Right no, now, so. exactly. But it was uh, truly <laughs> awful. Truly awful. Yeah. Uh, let's move on, though. Uh, let's let's talk about that comeback show. That's pretty cool. That was one of your points. And, and uh, well, I, you know, I think that we in this generation think that we've invented it all. So we have all these reality shows, and aren't we clever? But you know, back in the fifties, there was a television show uh, called The Comeback Story, and it was it was a, a real life show. Like they would take an artist or an actor or someone who's been down and then up again and whatever called the comeback story and it was it was a reality show long before the real world long before survivor american idol you know this is 1953 she appeared in the third episode uh, october 16th 1953 where celebrities shared their true stories of how they found success despite overwhelming adver- adversity and and you know if you watch the show you can see it on youtube i mean she's she doesn't Again, one thing I love about her more than anything, well, not more than anything else, but she wasn't one to sugarcoat things. No. <laughs> you know, she's like, hey, folks, this is what I've gone through. And so it's, a, it's an interesting show. And it's and again, if you think about it, Tony, it's it's years and years and years ahead of its time. And it's been forgotten. This is what I, I get. And I love the fact you're teaching history. And I love the fact you teach music history because... A lot of these things get forgotten over time, and and I really want to bring it back to the forefront that these people were humans, and um, things were done before twenty twenty one. Things were done in the fifties that are, that were ahead of its time, and this was acknowledging what she was going through. So you can only imagine what our friend was doing when he was watching that on television. Oh, right? yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Heads were exploding, no doubt. And let's talk about her last show. Her last show was in 1959, May 25th, 1959. And she died only a couple of months later. But uh, yeah, yeah. And, and she was a shadow of herself when she died. You know, I think we'll talk about her passing yeah. after the break. But let's talk about that last show a little bit. Well, that was, I mean, basically the fact that she did her last show so close to um, her her passing, her death, and and I mean she she was giving it her all, and in, in, in um, you know the thing about Billie Holiday was I, I all my research for this show I couldn't find anything where it said that she kind of uh, didn't do a good show. She she would go on, she would perform, she you know she she did everything, and here she was in 1959. She was diagnosed with cirrhosis, and we'll get into this in a minute. She had lost about 20 pounds, mm-hmm. and yet here she is on stage, belting it out. And from all reports at the time, if you read the reviews, it was, yeah, she looks like she's not well, but man, she still belted it out, and it was a good, it was a, it was a good, solid performance. I don't know if there's recordings that I'm just trying to see if it was recorded. I don't yeah, see I'm not it sure either, but... 
Wouldn't it be sad if no one recorded that? Yeah, because that, that to me would be. Um, anyways, so the, my point was that she was months away from dying, and she was still performing, and she sounded. Her voice had changed. Like, let's be honest, as she got older, and 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 the drugs and the the abuse took its toll on her voice, but it was still Billie Holiday, you know, like. Uh, and as I said, I've heard live recordings of her, and um, you'd have to be inhuman not to be moved by her, you know? No, exactly. And you know what? This looks like a good time for our second break. So we're going to take our birthday break, and we will be right back. Well, first up, we're going to stick with the Motown theme, because on March 6, 1944, Mary Wilson of the Supremes was born. Sadly, we lost Mary Wilson on February 8th of this year. Next up, in 1946, we saw the arrival of David Gilmore, who was of course known for his guitar work with Pink Floyd. And a year later, we saw the arrival of Kiki D, who of course had that huge hit with Elton John in the 1970s, Don't Go Breaking My Heart. Those are your birthdays for March 6th. Let's get back to the show. And we're back, and... um, Aaron, have you ever seen, this is not Billy Holiday related, but it's Elton John and Kiki D related. Have you ever seen the video uh, of them singing that song together? She looks oh, so uncomfortable. It's painful. It's painful. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely painful. She, she, uh, and I, I was just reading an article about that song, by the way, Don't Go Breaking My Heart, uh, a big article about Elton John. And uh, Bernie Taupin, who wrote the lyrics for Elton, said oh. from the time it, Elton brought that song in. I thought it was terrible then, and I think it's terrible now. <laughs> it is um, a bit of an earworm, though. I mean, unfortunately, I'm going to have that stuck in my head for a while now. But uh, well, and, and and you mentioned someone else in there, a guy named David Gilmore from Pink Floyd, and 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 he just put a single out last year. And I just want to encourage everybody, if you haven't heard the song "Yes, I Have Ghosts" by David Gilmore, do yourself a favor and somehow listen to that song. It's fantastic. So. And I like the fact you put David Gilmore in the same company as Kiki D. Yes. Good for you, man. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about this later. No, just kidding. All right. <laughs> and unfortunately, we're going to have to get serious again here because we're going to be talking about um, Billie Holiday's death, the circumstances surrounding her death. And so, again, you remember earlier in the show when I said I thought Anslinger was uh, – I, I again, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, but um, – <laughs> I think I, hope, he, I hope you're not, so we don't give the guy any kind of fame, you know. Well, that's <laughs> right. But um, I remember I said that I think he was responsible for her death. Uh, yeah. Here's another reason why: because she had actually cleaned up for a while. She did, and you know, but then they just started hounding her again. Um, they had an agent, uh, an African American guy, if you can believe this. Okay, I don't remember his name, but uh, who? His job was to get to know her, you know, feign some kind of romantic interest in her and catch her with drugs. It was a total setup. And the pressure of that, and could, because throughout her life, right, she had been in a series of bad relationships. And just that set her over the edge again, and she relapsed. And she, of course, died at 44, but she was cirrhosis was the diagnosis. But get this, this is the part that is... I know you're going with this. Go yes. ahead. Yeah. So they had her, this slight 
woman who had lost a ton of weight. She's in the hospital. She can barely move. She was in the hospital for a month. Because of this witch hunt, they got her on another charge of drug possession, and they had her chained, handcuffed to the bed, and they had a police guard there. It was just such a humiliation. And, and, and go ahead. Go well, ahead. and Anslinger totally overlooked the fact that there were white artists who were doing the same thing, the same drugs as she was. I mean, it was a totally racist-inspired witch hunt. For me, the sad part, I agree with you, but the fact that she was handcuffed to a hospital bed where she was given her last rites. Yes. I, how could, that's unforgivable. I just think it's unforgivable. She wasn't going to live. You handcuff this poor woman to a, a bedpost. And have and then a bring police a priest officer. In, and have a police officer. And then have the nerve to bring a priest in to give her her last rites. Yep. It's... Uh... It's one of those things, and again, folks, uh, you know, uh, this is a heavier episode, but um, our our last point here tonight actually is just the fact that even though she experienced commercial success, she was she died basically penniless. Um, I'll get into in a moment some of the people who swindled her. I mean, all of her romantic partners basically swindled her, but um, her mother. I don't know if you knew this or not, but her mother opened a restaurant, and uh, of course tied it into Billy's fame. And then Billy needed uh, to borrow some money and went to her mother and her mother refused. Isn't It's nice. incredible. And that's, that's where she got the line, uh, uh, God bless the child who's got his own. Uh, God bless the child is one of my favorite Billy Holiday songs. And uh, that's supposedly what Billy said to uh, her mom after her mom wouldn't give her any money. But uh, meanwhile, her mom had, you know, been using Billy's name to open this restaurant. But she died penniless, basically. She had 70 cents in her bank account, and her estate was worth about $1,000. You know, the, and, the, <laughs> and, and, and also the record companies probably ripped her off as well. And we didn't even talk about the fact that she actually wrote some of her songs. Yeah, well, God Bless a Child was, was one of hers. Her, probably her best-known one that she wrote. Right. But 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 she was a writer, and she didn't even get money for the song she wrote, Tony. You know? Yeah. Um, Rick and I actually uh, play quite often on our sets. God bless the child. Uh, I just whenever we need a, a nice ballad to just fill in and and take things down a little bit, we'll we'll frequently turn to that one actually because it's so gorgeous. And um, blood, sweat, and tears. Do you know their cover of that? I do. I love that cover because it's just so interesting. You know. Total different feel, of course. But uh, I actually played, uh, when I, back when I was in the uh, armed forces, uh, when I was working in the armed forces as a musician, we uh, did an arrangement of that song, the Blood, Sweat, and Tears arrangement, and I played sax on that. Actually, it was a blast. Did you really? Yeah. That's very, uh, that's very cool, man. Yeah. So um, I love, you know, any, any imaginative cover like that, I, I've always loved that Blood, Sweat, and Tears cover. Yeah, it's good. Well, yeah. It's 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 what what it's good about it was they made it their own, but still maintained the integrity of the song. If that makes sense. So that is our look well, at Billy Holiday. But I want to add a couple of things. Is that, I'm off the cuff. Is that okay? Yo, absolutely. Please do because I mean I, just, I might as well. Well, I just think we got to end up on a bit more of a positive note, which is that I mean she influenced generations upon generations of singers, and here we are, twenty twenty one, still talking about her, which is you know. 
And Diana Ross portrayed her in Lady Sing the Blues. Yes. Sings the Blues, sorry. Uh, and, you know, she's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. She's in the Jazz Hall of Fame, Grammy Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. So, sadly, like with a lot of great artists, she was recognized at the time, too, to a certain extent. I mean, people like Louis Armstrong, um, Frank Sinatra, sorry, Louis Armstrong, Frank Sinatra, Bing Crosby, all recognized her talents. Artie Shaw. Um, so it's good that we're still talking about her, Tony. Yes, I think so as well. And, and um, you know, just, again, my takeaway from uh, her life is that for her to have the kind of career that she had despite the obstacles that she went through, well, it's you know what it reminds me of, Aaron? Is it mm-hmm. reminds me of Tina Turner. Mm-hmm. Right. Very we, similar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I found myself uh, after we recorded our. I feel the same way right now, actually talking here, as I did after we did our Tina Turner episode. The same feeling, you know. You just, um, just profound respect and admiration. Yeah, I'm. I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, she was a treasure. A treasure. But you know what? I'm also grumpy. As you could have, you could tell earlier, uh, and and it is that time uh, to put on our grumpy old man hat. So, shall we do our get off my lawn moment? I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. All right. Well, I'm going to cue up the little uh, stinger here because I just need a breather, and uh, then we'll complain about some stuff. So, you ready? Here we go. I'm ready, man. I'm ready. Okay, so this is a COVID get off my lawn, okay? This has driven me crazy for almost a year because somebody out there started saying this right away. And you know what, you know what slogan, dumb, meaningless slogan drives me crazy, Aaron? What, what's that, Tony? <laughs> like, we're all in this together. Yeah, we're not. Like, okay, folks, I'm going to... Do you... Th- you do you seriously think that Jeff Bezos from Amazon is in this together with us? Do you think that for one minute, like Jeff Bezos has made more money from this pandemic than you could shake a fist at? And mm-hmm. do you think that the wealthy, the extremely wealthy are in this together with us? If you no. do, then uh, you're very mistaken. And, and Or very naive. Or mm-hmm. very naive. And, and it's driving me crazy because... Um, we are not all in this together. Some of us are way more affected than others. I'm very privileged. I fully acknowledge that because of my day job, you know, being a, a teacher. Um, because I'm married to someone who has a small business. As you know, my wife owns a children's store. And I don't think I was in it together with her when I was still getting paid for being at home. Uh, and she had to shut down, was forced to shut down. And all of a sudden had no income coming in and had employees to pay and, and rent to cover. Um, you know, so all those small business owners out there, all those restaurant owners out there, uh, I, that slogan, trite little slogans like that drive me bananas because it is absolutely not true. Sorry. There's my rant. (laughs) I'm right there with you. <laughs> I know. Like, what else? What else can I say? You know, it just drives me nuts. I, I put something on Facebook the other day. I, I kind of like. Actually, my wife posted it. Andrea posted it, and I, I stole it. And it said, um, 
we're all in the same storm together, but we're not in the same boat. Yeah, and you know, I, and that's that's probably more accurate. I think that's more accurate. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But uh, well, you know what? Let's uh, let's tie Billie Holiday to the Beatles. Let's, uh, let's get a I, little you more. You don't cheerful. think I can, do you? Well, no, I I know you can. I know you can because I kind of know where this is going. But uh, <laughs> let's cue up the Beatles theme music, and uh, we'll be right back. Okay, Aaron, hit me with some Beatlemania. Well, as we know, Billie Holiday passed away in 1959, long before the Beatles were famous. However, the Beatles also grew up at a time uh, where the BBC was playing not rock and roll. And Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr uh, and George Harrison all acknowledged they were massive Billie Holiday fans. And in fact, Paul McCartney uh, it did a really great recording of Summertime, in 1987, and it's a it's a great track. So he and he he said it borrowed the arrangement from Billy Holiday. So that's one thing. The other thing I want to talk about very quickly, Tony, is you were talking about the fact that Billy Holiday wasn't allowed to stay in the same hotels and the you know the 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 segregation that was going on, especially in the South. The Beatles were the first band in the South to say we're not playing to a segregated audience. Yes, and that's if, right. That's right. So I just want to give them a little. You know, tip off the hat to the Beatles for that because they just took a stance and well, either we play to everybody, or we play to, or we're not doing this. So, you know, I think, and, and they were aware of the racism in the music industry and, and and the crowds and stuff. So I thought that was pretty cool. So those two things tie into Billy Holiday. How's that? No, that's perfect. And you know, summertime, <laughs> summertime. Like Rick and I, we are the the Somerset combo. That's what we call ourselves. We are that. a smooth jazz group. But the one very good folks, very good by the way. But the one song that we do let loose a little bit on is "Summertime." You know, that's one where I can let the fingers fly a little bit. Um, we usually use that as a bit of a, a showstopper if we need one. But um, such a great song to play. And you know, I was thinking of your Beatles mention uh, when you look at the Decca Records uh, when they did their failed audition. But when you look at the set list that they played, it wasn't all rock and roll tunes. I mean, there were some tunes in there that. That were obviously stuff they had heard on the BBC, right? And Shaka Verbi, yep. yeah, Pesame Mucho, yep. <laughs> you know they did all kinds of songs like that. Yeah, well, I mean, Paul McCartney or George Harrison talked about having a complete Bing Crosby collection, mm-hmm. and and just so just just to kind of completely nerd out, the song "Please Please Me" is based on Bing Crosby's "Please Hear My Please." Oh, there you so go. There I you didn't go. know that. I just learned something new. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Well, Aaron, this was really, um, again, like I said, inspiring to talk about someone like Billie Holiday. And and folks, I know you listening out there, uh, this was a little heavier than what we normally do, but we felt like it was important. We had uh, both discussed last week after we finished taping the U2 episode that, you know, we had mentioned Angel of Harlem and we said, we really should talk about Billie Holiday. And I'm, and I'm so glad we did. And um it was wonderful to chat with you as always. And oh, I, I look forward to the nights we record, Tony. I look forward to it. Oh, me too. Me too. And folks, we can't thank you enough for listening and supporting the show. And the best thing you can do to help us is spread the word or let a friend know, um, you know, convince a friend of yours to, hey, check these guys out. Listen to one of their shows. Um, we're everywhere you get podcasts. So we're Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
Google Podcasts. We've also got the website, uh, www.stewytunes.com, and we even have a donation link up there if you decide you do want to support the show. That is always appreciated. That just helps us meet some of the fixed costs. But more than anything, we just are grateful to have you as a listener and to come on this journey with us. And uh, we look forward to doing it every week. And we love the comments. We read each and every comment. So thank you for the comments that you leave for us wherever you do, because we I enjoy those. And so does Tony. Should I should I give a little teaser about what's coming up next week? Because it's a very different type of episode. Yeah, why don't you? Because we never do that. So why don't you do something different? Okay. So next week we are actually going to do almost a. We're going to call it a bonus episode. I don't think I'll number it as one of the season episodes. We're going to do what's a bonus episode, and it's going to be a behind-the-scenes. You had nicknamed it our Wizard of Oz uh, episode, but it's going to be a behind-the-curtain. Behind-the-curtain, yeah. Yeah, a behind-the-curtain uh, episode, taking a look at how we produce this show, um, how we're doing this re- remote recording. We'll talk about ourselves and our backgrounds and our day jobs and uh just something a little more informal, but we'll give you, our audience, a chance to get to know us better. And I, I think that I'm really looking forward to that. Are we going to tape the fights we have to? Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we I can't wait. I can't wait till next week. That'll be a lot of fun. It will be. It will be. And I think it's, it's a unique kind of perspective of a podcast about what goes in. Because it's, it, it, you know what? I'm not going to give anything away, but it'll be, it'll be good to kind of get behind that curtain. Yeah, absolutely. So until we are uh, in your podcast player again, stay safe. Be well. And see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Stewie Tunes Show. Follow us on social media or visit us online at stewietunes.com. And if you're enjoying the show, don't forget to click subscribe.